You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In season six, educators discuss student-centered curriculum with Janoj Cotter. Hi, this is Junoj. I'm with Angela. I want to welcome you, Angela, to the OEA Grow podcast. In this season, uh, we're talking to educators who have uh, a passion for um, student-centered curriculum or student-centered learning, and I'm really happy to have you on the show today. Um, To get started, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you are serving or have served Oregon students? All right. Thank you for having me. Um, My name is Angela Vargas. I work for the Beaverton School District as an early learning TOSA. I began my educational career as a Head Start family support teacher um, with children ages zero to five. So um, part of the day I would work with children in the classroom. And the other part of the day I would work with families um, to partner around um, things that they wanted in life um, in order to work towards self-sustainability and educational and family goals. I was then an educational assistant for the Hillsborough School District and then um, took on um, a teaching position as a dual language teacher in first and in third grade. From there, I decided to pursue playful inquiry. So I I've also been a playful inquiry teacher at Opal School as well as Beaverton School District. And currently, I am an early learning TOSA. So I partner with teachers kinder through first grade to shift their practice and to develop their practice um, to a student-centered playful inquiry approach. That's a really cool teaching career that you've already had. About how many years have you been in the field? Um, I began in 2007. Awesome. Well, I'm curious to start with kind of your history as a student for a moment and thinking back on whether you did or did not see your own self reflected in the curriculum. Um, how how was that as a student growing up and maybe reference where did you grow up and did you see yourself, did you find yourself connecting with the curriculum as a student, especially in these uh, age ranges that you find yourself serving now? And does that help inform what to do or what not to do in your current service? So I'm originally from Illinois and I did kinder there and then first grade in Indiana. And a big um, moment in my life was when my parents decided to move to Colorado Springs. That's Mm -hmm. where um, my mother was raised. So it was it was a really impactful moment um, when we moved to Colorado Springs. I remember feeling very connected to my father's family who um, lived in Chicago. Um, He had 10 siblings and um, my best friends were my cousins and we would get together often and um, we would have parties and there would be food and laughter and dancing and um, that, that those are my, my biggest memories from childhood. And so when I moved to Colorado Springs, not only was I in a new state and a new school, but I no longer had any family connections mm. around. Um, so acculturation was was really difficult for me. Um, so thinking about my experience in school, 
I remember that most of school was very academic and straight from textbooks. Um, I remember copying the equation right out of the book and solving it. And I remember having to read a textbook and answering the questions um, at the back of the book. My mom taught me the way you answer a question is you restate the question and then you plug in the answer from the textbook. Mm. Um, what I really learned was about getting the right answer. And so what this means is when it was time for like writing or producing writing, I remember turning in blank papers, like just the blank line paper with my name and date perfectly in the corner, but nothing on the page because um, I didn't know how to creatively or independently produce. Um, I was just trained to like respond and give answers. Um, there was a time that I was really excited and felt eager to take on a project at school. It wasn't until fifth grade. Um, fifth grade was known for doing these state reports. And everyone knew um, that in fifth grade, you wrote this five-page paper and you created this huge flag to be waved around. And there was a big presentation um, at night where all the families would come and they would bring food um, to represent the state and artifacts and set up a table. And so this was exciting for me um, because I'm originally from Chicago where um, my father's family lived and I had transitioned in the middle of second grade um, to this school that I ended up being in for the rest of my elementary career. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that, that um, project was an opportunity to really feel seen and heard. Mm -hmm. um, because upon moving to Colorado Springs in the middle of the school year, um, I felt like my heart broke. Um, I had this huge family and lots of cousins and we were always together and we would gather with like food and music and laughter. And um, this all disappeared when I moved to Colorado Springs. Um, and at school, um, I could tell I had no social capital, I had no cultural capital, and I felt like a nuisance um, to my teachers. And um, all of the kids there had been together since preschool and they took like family trips to Vail and um, had all of these connections and my parents were not in with, um, my parents didn't have friendships or anything that would support me in having what we know as play dates and things today. So, I never, I always felt like just under the radar and then I was taking these steps to do what I was told in school and answer the answers the best of my ability. So when this um, opportunity came up for this state report, I had planned for like three years to do Illinois. Mm. <laughs> um, it was an opportunity to dive into something that I loved and cherish and something that I knew and an opportunity to share my identity. Um, however, another student wanted to do Illinois too. So the teacher said he was going to go through and do, um, see what states everybody wanted to do. And then um, this other student and I would flip a coin to got to, to see who got to do Illinois. And that's high pressure. Yeah. A totally different approach than I would have <laughs> taken um, as a teacher. And so the other student ended up winning the coin toss. No. Yeah. 
And I got the state that nobody had chosen because I was asked to wait till the end to do this coin toss. So I got Alabama and I didn't know anything about Alabama. I had no connection. So this whole opportunity that I was waiting for to finally be seen and to share about who I am um, never came to be. Wow. So I, I get the sense as you tell that story that there is so much that you experienced just in that one thing alone, that one uh, kind of incidents alone that do inform what you are trying to create for students, how you're trying to help students connect with their own learning, their own sense of self and their ability to to demonstrate that. How, how kind of how does that inform your practice reflecting on on pieces of that? Yeah, well, um, I wanted to go into education to break down linguistic and cultural barriers. That was my sole purpose for becoming an educator. And then I started going through school and being part of um, a school system in various ways um, as an assistant, as a mom, as a Head Start teacher who was just there leasing out as part of a, how public schools lease out classroom spaces to Head Start. Like I had all these different places in schools and I realized there were so many more barriers than linguistic and cultural, but um, that it was social justice was my reasoning for going into education. And I'm really glad that I was a Head Start teacher first because being an early learning educator in Head Start is all about um, um, really being alongside of children and thinking about what they want and what they need. Um, I remember one time the kids wanted to go outside. This was like an, an like a toddler classroom and it was raining and the director of the program came in and she said, um, it looks like the kids want to go outside because they were putting their little faces to the window and their hands up. And the other teacher and I were like, yeah, but it's raining. So we're not sure we really want to go outside. And she said, well, it's not about what you want. It's about what they want. Mm -hmm. And that, and that first I was like, oh, that was a little sharp, but that's always stuck with me because it's so true. Like we are in the business of serving children and families and, um, I should have been a better listener and a better observer to see what the children were curious about. They were curious about going out and exploring outside and in the rain. Um, and so I had this idea of wanting to break down barriers. And then I also had to think about how do I dismantle the biases or the beliefs that I have within myself? Um, so as I transitioned to public school, um, I saw a very different um, culture, a culture of um, a culture of standards guiding what happened with the children and curriculum and e adults um, and adults really determining what was going to happen in these children's lives without really taking into account. Um, their voice and their desires. But I was an assistant. So, you know, I, I just followed what I was asked to do. Um, 
But I knew that when I became a classroom teacher, that I really wanted to um, engage children in their learning and center them. And because I had worked with families as well, I also wanted to partner with families. I wanted it to be um, where we were all in partnership together. And so I gave that a go at a dual language school and I felt like I had really an asset perspective of families and children and I was entertaining and we had fun together, um, but I still felt very um, controlled. I felt the barriers of what was coming down the pipes of um, math and reading, math and reading and oaks, math and reading and oaks. And um, no matter what I did, I remember crying myself to sleep, feeling like I was perpetuating injustice. Mm -hmm. um, and so something special also about being a Head Start teacher was um, they had provided a lot of professional development opportunities. And one of them was to go to the Opal School Symposium. Are you familiar with Opal School? No. So Opal School um, was a school pre-K through five in the Children's Museum. Um, it was a museum for playful inquiry inspired by Reggio Emilia approach, the Reggio Emilia philosophy. And they really centered children and it was all about playful inquiry. And not only did my partner and I want to do it, but we asked other grades if they wanted to do it. And so in this small school that had about two teachers per grade, we had teachers across grade levels attending these workshops. And so we started to make shifts together about implementing the arts and really documenting children's ideas and thinking and um, reflecting their ideas back to them and um, reflecting together as a cross district, I mean, as a cross, reflecting together as a cross grade level community on our practices and um, our work alongside children. You could see the, the shift happened, but um, within our school, but it wasn't necessarily the direction that the district wanted to go. And so the following year, I um, went to go work for Opal School. And I was a K-1 teacher. And while I valued so much of the work they were doing, it was there I realized that I had so much work to do still with um, really looking at my biases and how I believed education to be what I thought education was and um, making some shifts. Um, I took my son with me and I remember, and he was going to go to school there. And I remember his teacher asking me like, oh, tell me about, tell me about him. And I remember saying, well, he's at grade level for reading. Like that was the first thing 
that came out of my mouth about my own son, thinking that that's what the teacher wanted to hear. Like, what does that say? Like that his whole value really came down to his reading level. And so if I thought that, if that's what I thought about my son, what did I think about all children? And I needed to uncover some of those things. And I, and I did, and I still, but it also taught me that that's something I need to do every day. Like, what am I, what, 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 what are my beliefs about children? And what am I still unpacking so that children and I, so that I can be alongside children knowing that actually they have so much more to offer me collectively than I could ever offer them. I'm curious to hear more about, um, some of the the shifts you have made or that you are trying to lift in your district around student-centered curriculum. For myself personally, when I think about student-centered curriculum, place-based, ethnic studies, climate change connections are some of the topics that are that are top of mind. And of course, all those could be overlapping. I'm curious, um, are those considerations that come forward for you, place-based, ethnic studies, and or climate change in your work uh, with students or teachers? Yeah, I believe all of those things, like you said, are overlapping. I'm going to answer this from um, the role of a teacher, just thinking about when I was in the classroom. This is only my um, second year in this role. But um, when I think about the work of Playful um, Inquiry, when I think about the work of Playful Inquiry, it's all about identity. Um, When we do Playful Inquiry, we set up opportunities um, for children to explore their interests, to have multiple entry points, um, to do a lot of hands-on learning. And so um, at first they might be, as they they work together and play together, they learn about who is the maker, um, who is an organizer, who is the builder, who's really um, whimsical and creative and the storyteller. These are all parts of our identity and um, for young children and adults. Um, Then as the teacher, as a facilitator, I might really highlight that like, oh, you are such an amazing storyteller. Like I hear you tell stories all the time. Or um, if a child comes up to me and says, I really want to make this, but I need need your help. Um, Because oftentimes you need more than one set of hands. I might say, well, did you talk to so-and-so? They are an amazing creator. Um, have you checked in with them? And so by saying things like that, all of the children come to know that they have gifts and um, to share with one another and to co-construct ideas and things with materials. So because they start to um, think about who they are as people, what is it that makes up their identity and the identity of people around them and find value in those things, then we can also um, talk about the ideas of race or background or family construct. Um, so it might start with a child saying, hey, will you pass the skin color to another child? And I hear that the child says that. And I and I might offer, I said, oh, well, which skin color are you wanting? Are you wanting mine? Are you wanting yours? Are you wanting this other person's? Like when you say skin color, what is it that you're seeking? It opens up this conversation 
um, of their understanding. Again, like what is their perception of what skin color is? And then that leads to identity. So if we start talking about skin color, because I want to create with it, well, that leads into other conversations. Well, where does skin color come from? Where does skin color come from? Like, how is that connected? What's the science of skin? What's the social construct of skin? Like, how does that impact? What is the impact? It leads to all of these conversations there about identity. And we're unpacking some big um, social issues. Um, I it, it gets kids comfortable with having these open un, open conversations, um, uncovering their own biases, um, saying, I want to know more about that. I want to seek to understand. I do that through hearing stories about doing research. Um, and this is the same for things like, um, what did you say? I'm looking for this question. One moment. So in learning to have conversations and navigate um, topics um, with questions and research, then let's say the idea of climate change does come up. For example, um, one of the standards for second grade was to research natural disasters um, and what is the impact on the Earth's surface. Um, so rather, so yes, we are going to dive into that. So let's say I set up the classroom to research different types of natural disasters and the earth's surface. So I have an area where there is um, soil and water, spray bottles and squirt bottles and like maybe people and animals and we put it on an incline. And so kids are exploring how the water is impacting the surface, how the people are impacting um, the surface, how is the water impacting the people? I might set up um, another area with a mortar and pestle and different things like sand or chalk, um, salt, where the kids are playing with the impact of the mortar and pestle on these different materials. So they, they're thinking about the impact in the earth's surface and the science behind things. But then we add in these other questions. Well, um, so not only is what is your natural disaster, what is the impact on the earth's surface, but what is the role of the human in this natural disaster? That leads us to think about like, as humans, what do we do to impact the earth? What are we doing to impact each other? Or um, like with climate change, or if it's something else, um, how do, what do we do as humans to stay safe during something impactful happening to earth, like a tornado? Um, and so not only are we exploring the science not only we're exploring the identity by understanding which natural disaster we want to dive deeper in or what are the materials we like to use to explore it, we also have this human aspect of how does it impact humanity or how do I as a human create um, some of these issues that we're dealing with in the world and what can I do to change that or what I do or to teach others about how we're impacting the world to create shifts in society. Thanks for that. Um, 
I imagine that in reflect in in prompting students to reflect on their sense of identity, um, you're potentially also helping them reflect on where are they in the world and like where do they go in their daily life or where do they go uh, on special occasion. The district has been promoting playful inquiry for four years now. Hmm. Okay. Um, supporting pre-K, kinder, and first grade. Okay, thanks for that background. Then during the during that that short run before COVID, when you were in Beaverton schools in particular, um, to narrow my question, I'm thinking about you know, in their play, in the different prompts you gave them, in the way you saw them students interacting with each other, and and kind of co-creating and, and growing these different narratives together was the fact that they were in Beaverton or in Oregon was that sense of connection to place or to, to specific sites specific places that they like to go to um, within the school campus or within the city of of Beaverton or within Oregon did you see that coming up in their play or something that you saw yourself trying to prompt them to think about um well, I'm going to take you a little bit like through through a process. Um, something that I knew at the beginning of each year, because um, I worked in Beaverton for as a classroom teacher for four years. The standards stay the same. Um, I will weave those in, but again, um, it will look very distinct. So one year there was a group of children. Um, oh backward. Um, additionally, something that I was always looking for was what is something that um, the children are passionate about and um, connected to change making so that I could um, use that as something they were working towards, mm. but utilize this idea of playing with materials and ideas and collaboration with each other to achieve it. So one year there was a large group of children in my class that had gone out to recess and they locked hands together and they started to run through the grass holding hands. When they came in from outside, I had my lesson ready to go, um, but they were so excited about telling me about this chain they had created outside that we took a pause and I listened and they said they were telling all about it and then someone in the group said teacher it's like it was a friendship parade and I was like oh it is like a friendship parade and then they said I wonder if we could get the other kids in second grade to join the friendship parade and I said hmm, do you think next time you go out to recess that's something you might try. Like, what would that sound like? And they came up with ideas on how they were going to invite kids at recess to do it. And sure enough, the the chain grew longer and longer and longer. We have five classes um, of second graders. And they came in and they were super excited about the friendship parade. And then someone said, well, why don't we actually have a friendship parade? Like we could, we could spread the love. We could grow as a, like a school community. Um, we should all be friends. And so I said, well, what would that take? Like, what, what would it be like? Because 
right next to them, I have no idea what goes into creating a parade. I've never organized a parade. I've been to one, but I am alongside in them, utterly unsure if that could ever happen. Like, what would we do? And so then they started, I said, well, let's just make a list of anything, everything we would need if we were going to have a friendship parade. So we got everything down on the list. And then the following day, knowing that they were um, studying goods and services, that it was an opportunity to go back to list and think about like, well, what's a good and what's a service and, um, and break these things down. And then if it was a service, then that would be an investment of time. And if it was a good, it, we would have to find funds. And then they had to talk about, well, who would provide the funds and who determines that this can happen. And they ended up writing this proposal to ask the principal if they could do it. And they used opinion writing to per, uh, persuasive opinion writing to tell them why they thought they should have it. And then they submitted the same ones to the PTA to get funding for it. And then the PTA invited them to their board meeting, which was offsite at a pizza parlor. And so we had a night event where we went and the children shared their proposal with the board. And, um, and so this is all very playful. This is all very playful, but they're also learning about um, writing proposals, writing opinion, um, essays, um, public speaking, this ability to collaborate for a shared goal. And so they did that and they got approval and they got the funding to do it, but it didn't stop there because what happened was that was also a year, that year that we all went, was it 2018, where the red for Ed and we um, all um, went on strike and we didn't, and we, we didn't have funding and they were going to lose PYP and the class sizes were going to grow. And then they, and so they became, they realized that that was impacting them. So then I brought books on student or child activists and they learned about different child activists and things they do, um, to promote change and how they take a stance. And then they decided to write another proposal and this time they took it to the school board and then they took it to the budget committee all about why um, we should have funding for lower class sizes and um, and maintain PYP. So what started with something very playful out at recess provided them the opportunity to learn how to organize and how to set up proposals, which then transferred over to um, an issue that was affecting them personally and their families and their community. We better wrap up soon because we're 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 over time. But that's that's great. I've been really enjoying hearing from you, and I'm wondering when you look back at where you started, maybe thinking back to just as a classroom teacher, and not to think about all the different roles that you've had, but as a classroom practitioner looking back, how do you think you've grown in your approach to providing student-centered learning experiences? What are some lessons or experiences that come to mind that have helped you grow? Yeah, I'm going to share two. First is the art of listening, because I remembered when I transitioned from a traditional public school education to playful inquiry, it all felt very noisy. All the play felt very noisy to me. And um, I was overwhelmed but what about what I perceived was noise and wanting to have what I felt was more control. And I shared that with my mentor and she told me 
Angela, just go play with the kids. Just go play. Like you don't have to be up here watching and be affected. Go play with them. And as I did, as I was alongside children, I had this revelation um, that what the children were doing was hypothesizing and testing out their ideas in various ways and asking questions and innovating and persisting through challenges that they felt deeply connected to. And so as I realized this and I started to practice this art of listening more, it allowed me to move away from teaching them to utilizing what I was hearing and reflecting it back to them to co-construct meaning um, like in reflection with the whole class, which then would become studies. And um, the other thing that I think I become stronger at is making connections. So I used to teach two-way standard. And like I said, I might've been fun and entertaining and, and kind of asset-based. I had stuff to grow, but I did um, value them. Um, I wasn't being very responsive to their gifts and their needs. And I was also compartmentalizing subject areas. And so when I say making connections, I now make human connections because I'm aware of the standards and I offer open-ended hands-on opportunities for learning. Um, and as I see standards in action, I know what they are, and then I can wrap them back in um, to a reflection or launching of the continued study. Um, and then I can also take things from the curriculum, the district curriculum, and find different books and resources to help them to deepen their understanding and develop a community of researchers. Um, and when I say connecting, um, oh, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I could. <laughs> All good. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll... I, Peter might the guy who uh, who listens to these and decides how they're going to come out. He, um, he might decide to break this into two different interviews. So sorry if you show up twice on the OEA Grove podcast, but I'm I'm glad we're having a rich conversation. I'm I'm really getting a, a sense of of your practice and um, how you engage with kids. So it's been a, a, an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm such a talker. And I don't know how to like answer things without telling a story. And that was part of the things that I felt really anxious about. So thank you for, um, thank you for being flexible with me. Absolutely. Have you gotten a chance to work with Brad Parker in your district? No. Oh, he's a, um, at times he's been the, the K-5 elementary social studies TOSA. And uh, he he just finished his doctorate up there um, in his TOSO role. And he he and I were comparing notes <clears throat> on our dissertation work. And he um, I was like, so how long is that dissertation? And he was like, I don't know, like 450 pages. And he, he saw me just kind of grow stony. And he was like, how long was yours? I was like, I don't know, like, I think 120 pages with appendices. <laughs> he, did, he just got bright red flush because he, he was so embarrassed at how how wordy he, he can be. Um, so just the Beaverton connection made made me think of of that memory. Um, but you you uh, you you might consider a doctorate, not because you're wordy, but because you have a lot of really cool ideas to to share and and build upon. Um, we'll try to wrap up. So I'm trying, 
to have you think now, um, if you were the mentor of Angela as she was first entering into her own classroom, what advice or perspective might you give your younger self to help her become a more student-centered uh, teacher in terms of the curriculum or experiences she was providing students? You've mentioned quite a few things already, I think, but th what else comes to mind? Um, so the culture of of education, how it is, can feel very heavy, even if you're strong in your beliefs and your um, ideas around teaching philosophy. Um, it can be hard to to kind of not fall in to it. So. I would say no matter what social construct or typical school culture of like ranking and competition is, not to necessarily fall into it, but to be self-reflective about your own biases, perspective, and language to ensure you are really seeing every student and their family as an asset. Um, Goldie Mohammed said, how will you make it impossible for students to fail? And so it's really important to know that each child is highly capable of a variety of things. Um, and the child that has a stamina for writing may be developing creativity. And the student that seems disengaged in writing, like playing with their pen and an eraser and a glue stick over and off to the side making flying noises is creating a brilliant story to tell. And so by pairing those two children together, um, it creates a partnership that provides them with the opportunity um, to develop how their ability to create together, to communicate and collaborate, and they learn to see each other's resources and um, be interdependent. And so when we create a culture like this, where children um, are valued for all the pieces in them and they're intentionally um, told um, how about their brilliance, um, then we actually no longer have to encourage them or demand that they take on challenging tasks because they have all of these tools and resources just to lean into them with excitement and pleasure. That sounds awesome. I'll, I'll uh, refrain from thinking that you're overly optimistic and instead just be inspired because that, that challenges me a little bit, but in, in a really good way, because I think it, it brings up some of my own biases in terms of how I sometimes condition my myself to uh, want to kind of be in a place of control instead of in a place of recognizing what is flourishing, even if I'm not able to recognize it. So thanks for that. And thank you so much for making the time today. I really appreciated this conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I look forward to next time. Yeah, thanks. Likewise. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.